Hey. Hey. Hello. Hello, you all out there. Welcome. Welcome to The Librarian is In. And as you know, it's the New York Public Libraries, or you might not know, if you're a new listener, New York Public Libraries podcast about books, culture, and what to read next. I'm Frank. And I'm Crystal. And you're out of town. <laughs> yes. It's actually, I'm. it's Crystal and Coda because our family dog is right here wanting treats Coda. for me. So Coda just won the Academy Award for Best Picture. Coda with a K. I think it's from that cartoon. Oh. Yeah. But he is, Um. yeah, he's giving me his, like, puppy dog eyes. He's a fairly large Pomeranian. But I have nothing more to give him. Hmm. Oh. Well, when you when you can focus back on me, I'll I'll wait. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm at Jefferson Market as usual, mm-hmm. distracted. I mean, I swear, I think I said this before because I've said everything before. But I sometimes I'm reading and I start thinking about where I'm going to put a table mm-hmm. in Jefferson Market because I'm just preoccupied all the time with getting us ready to open, which is soonish, right? Yeah, I mean. It's early summer, late mm-hmm. spring, you know, mm-hmm. it, we won't know an exact date probably till like five minutes before, but it's sooner than later. As I always say over and over and over and over, it's not three years. It's, it's going to be gorge. Mm-hmm. I'm looking gorgeous. at the interior right now. Cause you're yeah. in the building and it's looking good. Yeah. They I'm in the basement and, with those brick arches and mm-hmm. we're going to polish the concrete floor. And I'm looking at the contented a little bit, looking at the colors and which cool is that oh, this is so unimportant to anybody anywhere, but <laughs> I'm interested in the lobby. We had this terrazzo from, from the sixties renovation when the building was converted from a courthouse to a library. So like 60 years ago, and they put terrazzo with gold banding or like brass bands and, I grew to love it because it's so of its time. And now that's gone. They've covered it over with this beautiful stone. But downstairs, oh, long story. My God, can it go on any longer? Um, the floor was taken out completely just because we decided just to take out the tile rather than put a new floor on top of that, get rid of it, and polish up whatever might be revealed below the concrete. And then what has been revealed is almost this natural kind of terrazzo for formation like these little pebbles and stones have been mixed in with the concrete so you've got this pattern of terrazzo which is like this sort of pebbly um little stones uh design so that excites me more than anything else in the world because it's jefferson market it's the library and to reveal beauty is always exciting to me <laughs> oh boy can i be any more pretentious but there you go. Um, even though reading, which is, like I said, it's been distracting, um, has been amazing. And I finished Anna Karenina. And I will, I, will, I will bore you no longer <laughs> with with my, dis- well, today. Well, it's I not boring. My discussion of it um, and move on to another book. Uh, but I am glad I read it. I really am. Um, mm-hmm. What about you? You're I'm, glad that, I'm glad that you read it too. You're eating mom's cooking. You're playing with the dog. You're at your brother's. He was barking. Elaborate oh, game here, here he goes. You he can't hear anything. He, oh, you can't? Your mother has okay. it down. Like that system you're working with is like almost like <laughs> professional grade. It must be the sound silencing or something, but mm-hmm. the, the dog is barking every time a car passes. He you just goes. You can't hear the keyboard. You can't hear the dog. No, good, good. Only your beautiful mellifluous <laughs> voice, my darling. Excellent. Mellif. Yeah. So you're just chillaxing. Elsewhere. Yeah, technically on my vacation. Is that a that's a painting? Is that a painting of New York behind you? Like above? Look up look up. Is that New York City? Like Central Park? What is that? I don't know. I think it's weird art from thrift shops. Cool. I don't decide on these things. A lot of books. It just happens. Oh, yeah. Those are a lot of books I've brought home over the years for my brother to read. I'm trying to get him to read. um, Oh, 
actually my phone is propped up on it so i can't can't lift it but um recursion by blake crouch uh, we had a book club before oh. and so we would read like lee child books together um and we read dark mather by blake crouch together and recursion i think is his newest book so you talked about that lee child yeah yeah although i never fully no, completed this oh recursion y'all did i feel like you did our sounds familiar Mm, maybe. See how I remember. <laughs> um, yeah, a oh, lot of good. sci-fi thrillers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Here I am. I I don't. You know, you gotta you gotta jump in. I need feedback because I say this too all the time. Like I feel like, I mean, I said this the last time. Like, all right, I read books. And I feel like maybe I'm picking them instinctively because they deal with themes that I want to read mm-hmm. or I manipulate the book into the themes I want to read. This all sounds normal. Or yes. maybe I'm just reading books that have gigantic never ending questions, like questions mm-hmm. of existence, like the exist existential question because Anna Karenina is certainly that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, every time I think about it, I'm like, I feel like I'm forcing it into language that I always use. And I'm like, am I forcing every single book I read into the same narrow framework, meaning my brain is not smart enough to actually be a little bit bigger? Um, do you feel like I talk about the same thing all the time? I don't think so. I think it's normal to like want want things. So. <laughs> I mean, like we all talk about the same things all the time in some ways, yeah. right? Huh. Um, but I think it's normal to want to connect to a book and a way to do that is through your own interests. Yeah. Um, you know, like you're trying to find entry points into sometimes a lot of difficult books. And if that's your entry point, I think that's great. Right. And other topics come up as well. Right. I feel the same way about the books I read sometimes too. I'm like, am I always reading about certain topics, but that's what I'm interested in. I think it's okay to be okay with that. Well, that's true. I mean, you know, in Anna Karenina, the, there are, you know, Anna Karenina is not the main character by any means. And I could t- discuss possibly why it's named Anna Karenina. There are other characters you follow, like, you know, at least three couples and their love, marriage, infidelities, you follow them through. Um, and one of the main characters is Levin. The book could be called Levin. He's sort of the farmer. He has a farm. He has a huge farm. Not a farmer per se, but a farm owner, and thinks a lot about his workers and a lot about politics. And so, in the books of the of the region, and it, a lot of the book has his philosophies on farming and and working with people and freeing serfs and working with skilled labor and the politics behind that. And a lot of that, I sort of slightly zoned out on because. To me, politics is like a perennial thing, which usually it's slightly satirical. Like it's usually presented slightly satirically, like look how little gets done kind of thing. And that's just like the typical way of talking about politics sometimes, even though it's not completely satirical. I mean, Tolstoy is making points, but I slightly sort of am not as engaged because I'm just like, yeah, okay, they went to a meeting and everyone's fighting and this side is corrupt and that side is corrupt and this one's doing that. And so to your point about how you enter a book and what you engage with, I guess I, I, I become riveted and attentive when it becomes questions of existence and why, why we do the things we do and why we're impelled to do the things we do and how, why we suffer, how we suffer, how we can stop suffering. And that's certainly in this book too. Um, so you have a point. I just don't want to be, I want to be a little smarter than, than I might be to then to manipulate a book into into the themes I want it to be about. As you are reading these books, do you feel like you ever get closer to an answer to some of those questions? All right, you just opened the door, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, because um, I finished Anna Karenina, uh-huh. and of course, I was like waiting for Tolstoy to hand me the answer to life. Uh huh. And he d- he gave an answer. Okay. And this is a good point too. Like you said too, it's like the answer I think is something that's hard for me to grapple with. Um, Cause I don't quite understand. I don't quite fully understand um, issues of faith. 
um, or what faith is or religion. And actually Tolstoy makes, makes a deal of having grown up with faith, Christianity in this case, um, is an important factor in your eventual um, realization or epiphany that faith is all there is. Um, and as I was talking, I realized, because I didn't really grow up with a particular faith. Like I wasn't religiously trained. Um, but we certainly know that just because you are doesn't mean it turns into faith as you're, as an adult. But anyway, so Anna, you're, as the book, at, like the last two books, you know what I found out? The Tolstoy wrote Anna Karenina over a period of four years, or it was, and it was released in a magazine as they are, like Dickens, mm-hmm. like in installments. And I was like, oh, so people read this book over a period of four years. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you always think, no, no wonder it's so long. <laughs> Did he, do you know if he wrote them, like, each? I don't know. I, oh, okay, I was going to say, like, if he wrote the entire yeah. story ahead of time and then just released it in installments? I think he was... I believe he wrote it. It wasn't pre-done. Then okay. I think he was working on it as a lot of them do, because there's always a question of the end and how things end. And mm-hmm. So good. Well, it just makes me wonder with those kinds of books that are recent released installments, if there are reactions to um, yeah. reader responses and that changes the ending ultimately. I think maybe you talked about this. I did it, when, I, yeah. when I reread Great Expectations. Oh, okay. Yes. And there was a lot of that there and a lot of mm-hmm. discussion with his publishers about how he was going to end it and what he was going to do. I didn't really d- d- dig deep into Anna Karenina reviews mm-hmm. or discussions. I wanted just to read it and see what I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, but those of you out there can certainly do that. But um, so the last two books, uh, book seven and book eight, and that completes the novel. Book seven is basically Anna's, what Anna's descent into suffering, true suffering. And, um, and you could say madness, I don't know, whatever word you want, want to use, which was a very effectively done and affected me more than I thought, because like I said, for so long in the book, Anna was just frustrated and that per- that kind of personality that um, became after her initial passion for Vronsky. She, a married woman having an affair, living with her lover um, and having a child with him. Um, you know, that initial passion time goes through that and she's then just became paranoid and sort of jealous and sort of unconvinced in any way that he was, that he loved her or that he was faithful to her. Um, and somehow I found reading that tiresome in some ways, like that kind of personality. And maybe it's, it's something that hits close to home. I mean, like a sort of, it's maybe it's hard to read about someone's raw need in such an irrational way. You just want to say he loves you. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's okay. Like calm down. Um, but I was thinking about her and, and that, and then what eventually happens to her. And I was like, she, she, cause she's presented, as I said, at the beginning as a very beautiful, very charming person of means married to a much older man, but has all the prestige of the, of the society. And she's just a lovely person that everyone sort of responds to. And then I was thinking about her personality and what happens to her. And then she, she meets Vronsky and resists him, but then she, she basically is imploded by him um, in a loving sexual way. I mean, whatever you want to describe love or attraction or that intense feeling we have for another person that wants you to be with them all the time and do everything with them all the time, um, whatever that is happened to her. And, I think she did, she did not have a developed personality. She didn't have a fixed personality. She didn't mm-hmm. have a personality that was rooted in somewhere in her that she could rely on. She, and she probably didn't even know this. She didn't know this. She was beautiful. So her beauty and her charm sort of carried her far. And I think she had glimmers of the fact that that's what she had most of all. In some ways, there are passages which are, some of the most revealing about Anna Karenina that, um, and some of the only things that you know about her, that she 
she's conscious of her beauty and conscious of her power to manipulate a man to, to sort of find her beguiling and fall in love with her. She says it at one point about Levin, she's talking to him and she's like, I could, I could make him fall in love with me. And it's, it's sort of a horrible thing in a way, but it's her power. And I don't think there's a personality behind that. And I don't think she knew that because she was very well protected by her societal position. Once she, the door opened with Vronsky and her passion was let out, that's where, where the test of personality comes in. Does she have a foundation to manage that passion or to navigate it successfully? And I think she didn't. And that's why she, and I talked before about that, she was almost like she was possessed. Um, and she's called demonic in sometimes. And, and the only other, only way to put it, at least in this context of this book, is that she became possessed by this. And she had no other alternative but to follow it. She became addicted to that emotion that Vronsky brought out in her and she could not live anywhere else, but in that emotion. And like I said before, when the passion evolves, it doesn't stay that intense. So she cannot live without that intensity. And she therefore casts about for reasons why that intensity doesn't live. And a lot of times that kind of personality will blame the other person. Like you don't love me. Mm-hmm. basically because she doesn't feel it either herself. Like it's changed for her, but she cannot admit it because she's so defined by this passion. It just feels too good. And so she blames him and she accuses him and she can't stop doing that. And she can't stop thinking about it. And she can't stop um, obsessing over this, mm-hmm. this, this feeling that she needs to sustain, which is by definition unsustainable. You cannot sustain that kind of passion. And that's why the romances I love the most, like Wuthering Heights, it's like, you have to die. The lovers oh, yeah. have to die because you cannot sustain that passion. Like Romeo and Juliet, you know, what a couple of years later in their early twenties, they're like, you know what? I think we're going to part ways because it's not working for me. You can't really sustain that level of passion. Yeah. Like Wuthering Heights too. Like everyone has to die. Or one of them has to die first, um, and then the other will follow. Um, so that's her conundrum. And then from various plot machinations, she ends up at a train station to go see Vronsky for one last time to try to save this relationship because he's going to visit his mother, who's a nasty piece of work, mm-hmm. um, and throws herself under the train. And as she says... It's such, it's a very poignant, of course, melodramatic, but Mm -hmm. more than that, I don't think, that's it, sounds like a pejorative. It's just, I live in those moments, like when someone's just at their, at their wits end. And she says, oh, I could go on forever about this book. There's too much in here to talk about. I'm so self-conscious about talking too much. Are you, can you hear me? I can hear, I just, I yeah, I'm just curious as to how that leads from her trying to save her relationship with Ronsky and being like, well, I'm just going to jump in front of this train. Well, they have a fight. Okay. They have a fight among many fights, but the mm-hmm. fight is, is in Anna's head, you know, sort of like the worst one. Mm-hmm. And as with most fights, it doesn't really matter what it is about. It was because like those quarrels are just about the deeper emotions. So He's going out of town and she's, you know, this is all part of the deal. Like that's part of her problem. Like he, he needs to be sort of independent and do his thing. And which doesn't mean being with other women, um, but she thinks it is. And so she follows him to try to make up for this quarrel, which she's convinced in her head. This is where her, her sort of obsession is taking its real hold, its final hold on her. Um, she thinks it's over like in her head and she goes back and forth in her head. She's like, Oh no, it's not over. This is going to be fine. And then five seconds later, she's like, Oh my God, it's over because she, she's has again, that she doesn't have that foundational personality where she can reason with herself or discuss with herself. She can only react to the emotion at hand and like a borderline situation personality. And she can only react with what's in front of her and, and whatever's whatever emotion is happening in her, it becomes absolute. And she can't see through it or say, calm down. I'll just let me let ride this out. Mm-hmm. I'll be okay. So she's going to try to see him to, to make up for it. But then in her head, she's going back and forth about whether or not it's going to work. And mm-hmm. does that answer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so she does do this. And then 
you know, as she's falling to the train, she just says, she says basically to, to God or to anyone out there, like, why, why is this happening to me? Why, why, what, where am I? Like, you know, the classic existential question to the heavens, like, where am I? What, what am I? Why is this happening to me? And then her last word is why she does not know. And the the next book um, you pick up with Levin and, you know, he's been married to Kitty. They have a kid and he, his, his struggles with marriage and, and figuring out his philosophy of life with regard to his work and his love and his life. And, so you, Anna Karenina doesn't end with the suicide of Anna. It goes on with Levin. And it really does count, counterpoint Anna, though, because he's going through the same thing. They both, in a way, have an impulse towards death. Levin, which is in the book, lives through the death of, of a beloved brother, Nikolai, which makes a huge impact on him. They both, Anna and Levin, think to themselves, because Anna does tussle with it, mm-hmm. the only thing that's going to solve my suffering is is death. And they both confront that in very different ways. And Levin um, and the language Tolstoy uses um, is very interesting with both Anna and Levin. So as I said before, Levin through this very interesting inner monologue comes to, to faith really. He, he really well done. It's very, it's very, it's not like an, uh, you know, a soap opera epiphany where he's like, I believe he, he, it's very believable the questions he asks himself as even when he feels this epiphany, mm-hmm. he questions himself and um, doesn't immediately accept it, even though it feels so right. So um, let's see. I'll never find it. But when Anna dies, um, Tolstoy writes, Oh boy, Frank, you didn't mark your pages. <laughs> uh, you you pulled a crystal this time. I pulled a crystal. I know. Mm-hmm. And I was like so excited about this. And I thought, oh, I'll find it because it's easy. <laughs> I know. And I was like not happy with you because you were like, I have a print book and I can't find the page. But I'm gonna, <laughs> you can make, the producer can edit this fumfering out. if they No, want leave it in, Chrissy. Leave it all in. Process. Uh, 671 <laughs> is page part seven. Okay, darling, let's go here. Let's move on, sweethearts. Um, so, Anna. Yeah. No, Frank, take your time. Busy yourself. I'll, I'll eat some more of my egg. I'm very. Now, if this was a digital copy, you could have just searched but- it. I don't just care. Point that out. I don't care. I found it. Save the minute you brought, brought that up, I found it. So. So Anna says, as I said, as she's falling under the train, and in that same instant, she was horrified at what she was doing. Where am I? What am I doing? Why? She wanted to rise, to throw herself back, but something huge and implacable pushed at her head and dragged over her. Lord, forgive me for everything, she said, feeling the impossibility of any struggle. Um. A little serf muttering to himself was working over some iron and the candle by the light of which she had been reading that book filled with anxieties, deceptions, grief, and evil flared up brighter than ever, lit up for her all that had once been in darkness, sputtered, grew dim, and went out forever. Wait, hold on. That, the thing that dragged her, that was a physical thing or a mental thing. Yeah, that's, well, she has a dream about a, a, a like a peasant working over an iron and oh this is not in the tra- on the track okay right, but it is on the track so she's oh, okay she's just having that vision of the dream but it's the train itself that's crushing her i think oh and it's basically saying that the light by which the book meaning the book of her life mm-hmm. um of all the anxieties evil is the word is used and grief deceptions was illuminated brilliantly for the first time, like meaning her, the truth of her life, mm-hmm. I think. And then it, the light grew dim, sputtered, and went out forever because she was dying, dead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's counterpointed with Levin because Levin, who comes to faith, I mean, he's talking to someone in, on the farm and he just has this revelation about 
being good and being and having faith and and basically which is an interesting argument i'll cut this short now um he says it's the whole book he's trying to reason with himself trying to figure out truth via reason which makes sense to me but he says it's not reason like you can't come to faith through reason or you can't come to love through reason it's unreasonable there you so reason is not the way you get this but there is no explanation really of how you do get this it it happens to you and maybe that's where i thought of the idea of personality because anna like it ha- things happen to her too but she can't handle she can't go to a good a good place because she her personality cannot go there mm-hmm. levin can why i don't know but i would say almost that his reasoning ability was something he had to go through to get to faith. He had to think the way he did. He had to question himself all the time as he does in order to have this revelation. Cause Anna does not have that. Cause she doesn't, she do, doesn't question herself, nor does she think of other people. Mm-hmm. She thinks only of herself. Really. She doesn't even think things of her kids on her only in a societal way. And, and almost and admits at times she doesn't love them. Mm-hmm. The son she has more of a fixation on because he's been taken from her. Okay. The daughter she has with Vronsky, she she says, I can't love her. Um, she's really, really about herself. And and Levin thinks constantly about the people who work on his farm, mm-hmm. his wife Kitty, his children, like how he can make them their lives better. So that says something there. But like the light that goes out for Anna. Oh, great. Here it is. Now I found the page. Right, right, written right here. Page 794, Levin's Light. Page mm-hmm. 768, Anna's Light. And here I was frumfering around the... Oh. All right. So I just read that quote about Anna. Now I'm going to read this quote about Levin. The word music is is the, like a word for peasant or serf or... It's not a slave. How do you spell uh, it? M-U-Z-H-I-K. H so, yeah, okay. It's, I, yeah, it's like a the peasant class, I guess you could mm-hmm. call it. Um so uh all right, here's actually the part where he feels the revelation. And then I will leave you forever and Anna Karenina with him. Um all right. So there he's talking to this music. And and they're talking about the people in, in the farm. And the music says to Levin, people, basically, you know, that guy, he, he fills his belly. He, he lives to eat. He lives to eat and get through another day. He says, but that guy, you know, lives for God, lives for truth, lives for something good. Mm-hmm. And he's about to say to Levin, like you, like you, I see this in you. And um, Levin questions him immediately, like, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? And he goes, well, that's how it is. People are different. One man just lives for his own needs, just stuffs his belly. But other men are upright, live for the soul and remember God. And then Levin says, how's that? Remembers God, lives for the soul? Levin almost shouted. Everybody knows how, by the truth, by God's way. People are different. Now, take you even. You wouldn't offend anybody either. Yes, yes, goodbye, said Levin, breathless with excitement. And turning, he took a stick and quickly walked off towards home. A new joyful feeling came over him. At the music's words about living for the soul, by the truth, by God's way, it was as if a host of vague but important thoughts burst from some locked-up place and all rushing toward the same goal, whirled through his head, blinding him with their light. So his light was revealed to him, and Anna's light was snuffed out mm-hmm. the end have fun reading 800 pages <laughs> no this does actually remind me that um in our last podcast at the end after we stopped recording we did talk a little bit about like the idea of slow reading so i want to hear more about like your feelings or the process of you reading this like very long book over mm-hmm. kind of a prolonged period of time i don't know if you had any thoughts about that yeah, I mean, the usual thing about concentration. Um, I don't like people say of our attention spans and all mm-hmm. that. I think I have a personally, 
I definitely have an issue, and I'm. I don't think I'm unique, unique here, but like an issue with. I have to understand everything, and everything I feel like an author writes has meaning, mm-hmm. an intentional meaning. And what it, what is that meaning? And then, at end of book, what does it all mean? What is the author trying to say? And and that's tough. And so sometimes I get pulled out of actually just reading the book and get conscious of what does it all mean? And I get sort of anxious about, I'm not understanding and just letting it, just letting it happen. Um, And then, you know, I, I hate the idea of of thinking, Oh, well, there's 400 more pages, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is a terrible thing to think. Um, But sometimes I did, sometimes I didn't. I mean, but let's put it this way. As you might imagine, for all the trouble and also it's personality driven, all these anxiety or, you know, doubts about reading, period. It's like, it's the only game in town for me. What do you mean? Meaning when I'm reading a book more than any other experience, like uh, watching or whatever, and I finally connect with that book in some way Mm -hmm. or feel like I do, Mm -hmm. it's unlike any other feeling I know. So okay. it matters and it just matters. I'm excited by understanding. I'm excited by, I, I mean, I'm excited by a lot of things. I mean, the, like you said, slow reading for a long book. It's like, it almost doesn't matter long, short. Um, but I guess the practicality is that if it is long, it, you know, we talk about it that way. I don't know. I, it, I wish I had better focus. I keep saying this all the time. And mm-hmm. I do, to be honest, like I do feel like a, maybe just like Anna or some people, like I feel like I know my issues, but sometimes I just don't want to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Like when I say, oh, I want more focus, like, you know, that means I have a certain responsibility. Mm-hmm. It's not just like, well, actually, I was going to say, it's not like something that happens to you. But then in a way, this book is saying it is something that happens to you. And you just, because like I said, that faith that Revelation Levin had is he didn't so-called work for it. Mm-hmm. He, it was, it happened to him after long struggles and, and philosophical discussions with himself. Hmm. He is relating it to childhood though, like the mm-hmm. childhood teachings of Christianity. And maybe there's something in, that 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 childhood thing that we could go back to so like focus like you know when you're little like you could draw on the sand for like an, two hours and be completely absorbed by it oh yeah i guess as we get older um we get more distracted mm-hmm. hmm. i didn't really answer your question but that's the best i can do right now <laughs> oh boy what Oh no, it, mm, I don't know if I'm oversharing, but it just reminded me that whole thing of like when you were young drawing in the <laughs> sand. Uh, when I was young, I didn't play with Barbies. I had like push pins that I would dress up with toilet paper. <laughs> I don't know. That's <laughs> so too very much information. <laughs> That's just the beginning. Push pins dressed up in toilet paper. But I just felt like when I was young, my imagination was so robust that I could like have these elaborate stories using office supplies. And I was entertained for hours. (laughs) But anyways. Yeah. I mean, it's also new. Well, that's part of it. But also, I mean, Tolstoy was saying that it's something that we were told and like about Christianity or belief or faith as kids, but yet it's not an inculcation, uh, like an education thing. It's almost like a imparting of the only thing that matters. I think I'm, I don't know. It's a little fuzzy. Anyway, I should stop talking about this. What did you read? <laughs> 45 so I, I, I still want to, I, I feel like I could like revisit more of the stuff that you said. Um, oh. But I will say like, I really like that idea just talking about like uh, reading and that kind of deep connection with it. Um, I did want to ask you if you ever 
feel that with listening to music. Like I understand that feeling of like reading being the thing to go to over like television and movies. And I totally agree with that. But I feel like sometimes music does that too in a um, unarticulated way. I don't know. It's in a little yeah. grayer, but yeah, I don't know. Music was Anyways. so important when I was younger. Like it was almost like the soundtrack to my hopes and dreams. Yeah. And it was right? sort of like the beat of your blood mm-hmm. pumping and like coming to fruition and uh, reading when I was y- much younger than that. And now like sort of is more important in a way because mm-hmm. music to me is like I said, a soundtrack to like the future. Mm-hmm. I can't really listen. To, hmm, it's interesting. It's, it's more about aspirations than getting lost in it in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, huh. should have a, we should have a six-hour podcast one day. Let's <laughs> see what happens. We can have a podcast retreat and just talk about all our feelings. I thought about this. We, when we meet in person again, it's like mm-hmm. very different when you can look in someone's face and pick up social cues and stuff like that and try to – and then stop talking, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you don't have to talk about any book you read. We can just sign off now. <laughs> Sometimes I want that, but um, um, no, I will. I will briefly bring up. It, it's going to lead to the book that I read in, in a circuitous way, maybe. Right? I did read like a, a few books. Um, I've been on vacation, um, but I didn't really feel like talking about them so mm-hmm. much. Um, but I'm going to bring up that NYPL, maybe you want to describe it more. I think you're, you're better at describing But NYPL is doing this uh, Books for wow. All, right? Uh, I want to say partnership. It's with a bunch of different publishers. Um, I forget which ones in particular. <laughs> I know it was like all mentioned. Macmillan is we... one. Scholastic. Yes. Machette. <laughs> yes. Um, and with that, essentially these um commonly banned books recently banned books will be available for checkout i think through um simply e and they will be like always always available so they're they're not going to require like a line or any weights right um and i kind of really uh, appreciate that and some of the the titles that they have is um speak by laurie house anderson which is like a great one i read the book i read the the graphic novel (laughs) that was based on the book i I watched the movie all great um stamps by jason reynolds and ibram x kendi which is based on like stamp from the beginning which is an adult book catching a rye king and the dragonflies anyways but thinking about that uh of sort of the band books trends i mean it's always been kind of happening but certainly seems like it's been ramping up a lot right um it it brought to mind um like something that had happened prior like i think last year i was chairing this committee for yalsa and yalsa is like a division of ala Mm-hmm. which is the American uh, Library Association. And Yalsa is like the, the young adult division of it. And uh, in the committee, we were doing like graphic novels, right? We select a list, usually it's like 100 titles of really great graphic novels for teenagers. We released the list, all that kind of stuff. This was my second year chairing it. And um, our list got picked up by this, I, I want to say like really kind of, conservative right-wing website, which I don't even remember the name of, which I probably wouldn't even say if I did remember the name of because I wouldn't want want them to get any clicks. And they essentially um, described our list in a way that was very, like, unfair. But the gist of it, my interpretation of it was, like, we were purveyors of porn or something. And they were naming all of these books that um, were, like, Gender Queer, which is a a fantastic book. Lots of comics that essentially featured characters um, or people, if they were memoirs, nonfiction, that were, um, that had different gender identities, different gender expressions, that had different sexualities, right? And they were categorizing these books as really, like, harmful to kids, which they are not, right? Um, in fact, they actually reflect reality of, of what kids experience, teens experience, right? And should be, I think, like 
required readings, like Gender Queer is like a really important book, right? You know, um, can I jump ahead. in just for, I know. Of I course. Stop. But you know, you just reminded <laughs> me that like this whole argument about mm-hmm. what you just talked about is so is so much and almost 100% about language. Mm-hmm. And I think that ex- existence, like talk about existence. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because, and I think it makes people extremely uncomfortable because what what is trying to, what people are activizing to do now is to sort of challenge language about what is a person? What mm-hmm. is a person? And sometimes it's a, it's a resistance to even categorize. Mm-hmm. And, and then the world sort of says, well, we need to categorize. Like human mm-hmm. beings seem to just need to categorize. But then within that, then it's like, okay, a woman is this, a man is this. And oh, the yeah. idea of changing the definitions the changing the language is just too terrifying for some people. And I think it is fear. Mm -hmm. I think it's absolute fear because it's so destabilizing. It's basically undermining what existence is and that what, what people seem to want to rely on. It's a challenge to language. Like I always say, but we have human experience and the language that describes it. And people are now saying, well, this word now means this to me. And everyone's Mm -hmm. like, you can't do that. You can't change that meaning. I, I agree. With, and I like the way you describe it as um, this kind of personal destabilization, destabilizing yeah. or whatever. Um, and I, I do wonder how much of it is a part of it where because these things are changing around you, maybe you have to have some self-reflection and like look at your own self and your own life. And, right. you know, and I think people feel very challenged by I that. I mean, like, you know, exactly. Like what? Um Black people at one point were not considered mm-hmm. full human beings. Yeah. They were three-fifths human. Yeah. At one point, gay people was considered a psychiatric disorder. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is language. And yes. This is language and- describing a person's mm-hmm. behavior and identity. And-, and now we don't believe those things anymore. Yeah. Language has changed. Yeah. And libraries were a big part of libraries were a big part of that, like in terms yeah. of how um uh, LGBT. Q books were classified. It was under sexual deviance as a classification, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's clearly wrong. And um, same thing for a lot of like people of color. Wow. But yeah, I totally agree with that statement. I feel like it. I, I this is like a <laughs> very serious conversation. Wow. Very serious, Sorry, I, which is very like not not <laughs> my my book isn't that serious. But um, but but I will agree with that because I think it's even in that. I'm going to say article with quotation marks. Was it an article? I don't know what it was. Um, even then, you know, they included a book like Superman Smashes the Clan by Jean Yang, which is a comic book, right? A DC comic book. And in that book, none of the characters were actually talking about gender expression or sexuality. It was, in fact, uh, people of color banded together with other white people to take down the clan. So to me, like it, that inclusion of that book also clearly said to me that the problem is not what you're saying is is um, explicit content or all that kind of stuff. The problem is people's right to like exist in some mm-hmm. ways somehow challenges your own feelings or your own um, um, perception of the world. And anyways, all yeah. that is to say that that was like on my mind. And also, I think. Um, uh, also the recent stuff that happened in New York and everything, which I know will be on like a, a bit of a delay when it actually goes out. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to choose a book that was kind of joyful and featured um, queer protagonists. And that book that I chose, and this is like a book that um, is kind of in my backlist. I'd read it a, a bit ago or maybe earlier this year, but it's called Chef's Kiss. Cool. Um, it's from Oni Press. It is by Jared Melendez, Danica Bryan, Hank Jones, Hassan Oatsman Elhow. Um, and it is a, a comic book that features a character, Ben, who I think has just graduated from college. And he wants to be like a writer. He wants to, I think, maybe like uh, go into publishing or some some related field, but then kind of falls into this job where he works for restaurants um, and is like a chef's assistant. And then through that experience, kind of decides that he maybe like enjoys this. And maybe there are these pressures of his parental expectations that maybe he's like defying. And he also finds a romance with another um 
I want to say chef's assistant, but I'm I'm sure I'm not using the correct terminology and hierarchy. I'm sure people who work in restaurants will be like, no, this is not correct. Um, of of Liam, right? I thought this was just like a really fun book, like a really great book for, I would say, teens. Uh, this is very much a new adult book, like dealing with uh, issues in the post-college 20-year-old age range. Huh. But that idea of like being faced with parental expectations, but then maybe deviating from an expected path and finding your own path and actually figuring out like what you like in, in the world and want to be, um, I think is really relatable to teens and also to adults. I think a lot of people now are um, experiencing a lot of change in their lives. There's the so-called like great resignation. People are doing a lot of yeah. different job shifts and career shifts. And I think um, this book is a, it's like a really fun kind of wholesome um, humorous book that I think if you need something more like joyful and lighthearted, I would definitely recommend. There is a taste testing pig named Watson who has a great origin story. Pig? <laughs> I love pig, yes. Oh my God. Um, basically, so cute. the head chef only kind of accepts him after he makes a dish where Watson the pig thoroughly enjoys that how that's how he gets like into the restaurant is you know that um the working title for anna karenina was watson the taste testing pig <laughs> <laughs> By the way. i can only imagine but it, no there is a whole really fun when the chef the head chef davis uh, was kind of like this gordon ramsay-ish type character i think um tells watson's origin story it's actually really hilarious so i would recommend it on that almost alone but um, but in the it. in the vein of that, I wanted to recommend like a few other. Just like I'm gonna quickly name okay. a few other like comics. Um, real oh, can't say this word. There's a curse word in it, so I'm gonna say it, and then Chrissy, you can bleep the curse word. <laughs> but it's a real hero shit by Kendra Wells. That was a, another recent one that came out. A Heartstopper series by Alice Oseman, which I think a show on Netflix is coming out. Nimona by Indy Stevenson, which I think is also a, going to be a animated Netflix show. Uh, Cheer Up, Lovin' Pom Poms by Crystal Frazier and Val uh, Wise. That came out, I think, last year was really fantastic. And Squad by Maggie Takuda Hall and Lisa Stirl, which... Um, deals with werewolves and smashing the patriarchy and i think that was also really fantastic so um yeah those are kind of my recommendations of really recommendations fun for joy yeah when you say fun. comics are they all graphic they're not all graphic novels they're all the ones i recommended are comics that deal oh. with love queer relationships um and just okay. have like i think a sense of like fun to them yeah uh, that's i always think i should read more of okay Seek out the joy. comics. Yeah, I I was thinking about that a lot too. Um, obviously, because of the shooting in Brooklyn and stuff, mm. and I just felt like so many of the books I've been reading have been really heavy. Which I I you know I think it's important to read as well, but I I think we should take time to find um, some like fun books. Uh, and the other thing about Chef's Kiss, which it deals with food and I feel like food is such a comforting element to um books, television, um, life in general. So yeah. I think the author actually is a is maybe works for Epicurious and contributes to Bon Appetit. So I feel confident that the food elements are correct. I've lost Frank now. <laughs> I dropped the tarot deck. Oh yes, tarot. Should we? Maybe we should. Do you want me to pick it or do? Oh well, I just say there was the card at the bottom, which I know is a scandalous card. I'll just go with this one: the hanged which, man. Oh no! Okay. Isn't that terrible. I don't know. This is sound promising. Very dramatic looking card. The hanged. That was the one that you pulled. No, I was. I dropped the deck, and then when I picked it up and started to shuffle it, I saw. At the very bottom was this card, and I was like, "Well, I'll go with that." It's the first does one that, I saw. Does that count as pulling it? Well, there's no rules. Is oh, there, boy. Are there? Is there? <laughs> Let's just go with it. Was it upright? Tarot, or? tarot officials can write in and tell us. Mm -mm. Oh, the hanged man. So I have. Was it upright or? Oh, it reversed? was upside down. 
It was. Oh, well, it means wisdom, circumspection, discernment, trials, sacrifice, intuition, divination, prophecy. Reversed means selfishness, the crowd, body politic. I don't know what that means. It's a card of profound significance, but all the significance is veiled. Hmm. I will say very simply in my own part that it expresses the relation in one of its aspects between the divine and the universe. He who can understand that the story of his higher nature is embedded in this symbolism will receive intimation concerning a great awakening that is possible and will know that after the sacred mystery of death, there is glorious mystery of resurrection. This is Levin. <laughs> the gallows from which he is suspended form a cross while the figure, there is a nimbus about the head of the seeming martyr. It should be noted that the tree of sacrifice is living wood with leaves thereon. Hmm. So the one that I'm looking at from Biddy Tarot says when it's reversed. Yeah. Um, let's see. Okay, the upright hang band encourages you to pause for a moment and see things from a different perspective. Reverse this card can card can show that you know you need to hit the pause button, but you are resisting it. There you Instead, go. Fill your days with tasks and projects. All right. Being busy and distracting yourself from the actual issue that needs your attention. Totally. What did I say? What did I say? Four hours ago on this podcast. <laughs> okay, what it was only first of all, it was only an hour ago. Right? But what did I do? You remember? Uh, I think you it was don't have to remember market, right? No, I said channel? I have a problem with with focus and also mm -hmm. with other things. And I said, but I don't really want to deal with it. Like I'm resisting dealing with it. Your spirit and body are asking you to slow down, but your mind yeah, keeps exactly. racing. When you Stop ask and me about slow reading, before it's too late. Whoa! Well, when you asked me about slow reading, I really had a hard time answering you because it's mm -hmm. like a, it's, I'm not really facing issues of my own, and that's exactly what that card is. Yeah, before it's too late is right. I think it's too late. God. So it was. <sighs> so basically, I think because you dropped I'm the cards. You're in Jefferson Market. You dropped a card. I think Jefferson Market, the library, picked that card and is trying to tell you something. I know. I need balance. Mm -hmm. You need to take a pause before it's too <laughs> My late. My life is the library and I have nothing else. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I know. Well, that was profound as usual. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to read. We're going to look at the list, I think, and discuss for the next time. Correct? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. But we'll just read on our own until then. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anyway, thanks everybody for listening and come come back. Come back to us next time, please. Thanks for listening to The Librarian is In, a podcast by the New York Public Library. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcast or Google Play, or send us an email at podcasts at nypl.org. For more information about the New York Public Library, please visit nypl.org. We are produced by Christine Farrell. Your hosts are Frank Hilarious and Crystal Chen.